Make sure that you're doing what Christ stands for and what Christ taught. Our lesson tonight, I've entitled it "Why," in the form of a question, Why Stop the Chariot? And you will, we'll develop that point, that question here in a moment, Lord willing. You know, the track that I just quoted from, and you're welcome to take a look at it if you question anything that I just said. This teaching, this is not exclusive to Max Licato. It's widely accepted because it's comfortable. It's convenient. And it does not call for one to change their, their life. And I think you see why it's so popular. You know, the book of Acts, I love studying the book of Acts. I hope that you do as well. Records the beginning of the church. It's, it, it's, its title is the Acts of the Apostles. We just say Acts oftentimes. Often it's been called the book of conversions. It provides a number of examples of people becoming Christians. The book of the Acts of the Apostles could also be called the pattern for the New Testament church. What do you know about a pattern? When we follow the pattern, we get a finished product that looks like, functions like, the original, doesn't it? On the day of Pentecost, this is recorded in Acts chapter 2. We won't take the time to read it, but you're familiar with it. We see an unprecedented event take place. The Holy Spirit has been uh, given to the apostles, as Jesus had promised before he, his leaving this earth and going back to heaven given them special abilities. And Luke records there in Acts that they were, they, had, they were able to speak languages that they had not learned. Because they're gathered on Pentecost, there was probably 10, 15 or more different countries gathered there for Pentecost. And obviously they, couldn't, they didn't all speak the language of, that the apostles spoke. So... Obviously, you see the need for them to be able to speak in languages where those, all these people could hear. An unprecedented event took place. Well, you know, because we have Peter's sermon recorded, that the other apostles were also preaching the same message. But Peter uses, used the Old Testament prophets concerning Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. The church that Jesus died to establish is now a reality. On that day, 3,000 souls, the Bible says, were added to the church. Others soon followed, Acts 2 and verse 47. And you'll notice, I find it interesting, there on the day of Pentecost it says 3,000 added. Well, that's the last time it says added because as it goes on, it's multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. So you know how the gospel was spread and the church grew quickly there in the first century. When persecution arose in Jerusalem, this is recorded in the beginning in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Verse 4 tells us there that the people were scattered. The Christians were scattered. What does it say they did? They went everywhere preaching and teaching the Word. They didn't run and hide somewhere because they were being persecuted. My, my estimate or my guess is that they went back to their homeland. They went back to where they came from. They were there for Pentecost and once that... and they. Because of that unprecedented event, they became part of something that meant something to them. And they tarried there a while, learning and fellowshipping with other Christians there in Jerusalem. But because of the persecution, they scattered. 
And you know, I believe that's God's, that was God's plan from the beginning. Because Jesus had instructed his apostles that they would, the gospel would begin in Jerusalem and it would spread to Judea and Samaria and all other parts of the world. And I believe that's what we saw happen. I want to quickly look at the account of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, is what we call it and what we refer to it, as a basis for our lesson tonight. Let's read together, beginning there in Acts chapter 8, verse number 26. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. And this is a direct quotation from Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life has been taken from the earth. Verse 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. That's reading through verse 38. Let's think for a minute or consider for a moment this man from Ethiopia that's talked about here. Ethiopia was in northern Africa, geographically. I did a little research about that area in the time in which the, the, this eunuch lived. Alexandria was in Egypt. It was a, the site of a famous library. You know, back in those days, my feeling is there's probably not a lot of libraries around because a lot of people couldn't read or, and they didn't have any way of um, making books and all the copies of books and all those kind of things. So this was an educational, academic hub of the world at that time. So we have to believe that this eunuch was a very educated individual. The Bible says he had charge of all the queen's treasury. And Candace, I found, that was not, it was a title and not her name. Like Caesar was a title in Rome, not necessarily the man's name. This man that we call the Ethiopian eunuch was trustworthy. He was honest. He was a good man, a man of great position man of integrity, and he had a knowledge of Judaism. He was a religious man. He had traveled 1,600 miles or so from his home to Jerusalem, and the Bible says for what purpose? For worship. That's a pretty long trip. Scholars tell us it may have been six months each way because they didn't have jet planes back then or any t modes of modern transportation. We know he was riding in a horse-drawn chariot. He was reading the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. You know, he was fortunate to even have a 
copy of a scroll or to own a scroll because that was rare back then. And most people, even if they had them, they didn't have, the, again, the ability to read. So we see this is a very special individual. This is the same, we talked for a moment about Philip. This is the same Philip that earlier in this chapter 8 went to Samaria and preached. And we have his account there of conversion of Simon the sorcerer. This Philip, you notice, the scripture says, ran to him and heard him reading. As a side note here, notice the urgency to proclaim the gospel. Philip was urgent in running and joining himself to this man in order to preach the gospel. We don't see that there was any formal any formal introduction between the two. It's just that he asked him a question and he started teaching. Verse 32 says he preached Jesus unto him. You'll notice, interestingly, it doesn't mention baptism. It doesn't mention repentance. It doesn't mention the church. All are evidently involved in preaching Jesus. And we've talked about that before and we'll continue to point that out. You know something I thought of in context of the, the eunuch and others that we have examples of in the Bible about their conversion. It isn't hard to convert honest, humble, Bible-reading people. Let me repeat that. It isn't hard to convert honest, humble, Bible-reading people. Once you're able to get people to read their Bibles and put aside all preconceived notions and prejudices and humble themselves before God, realizing that God is God and we're not, chances are very good that they're going to find the truth and be curious about what this means and that means. It gives us an opportunity to teach. Those people will not be hard to convert. The problem is getting them to that point. And that's the problem we face today. I was up at Dayton yesterday, as some of us, many of us were. And let me recommend to you next, Lord willing, next first Saturday in November, 9 o'clock a.m., be at Dayton for a wonderful lectureship. One of the speakers yesterday, the, the, the topic was the Great Commission. And uh, he mentioned that two of the biggest problems we face in teaching and converting people today is immorality and denominationalism. And I would say amen to that. People in immorality, the way they live, they like that. They're steeped in that, and they don't have a desire to change. They don't see a need to change. And then, obviously, the proliferation of denominational teaching and false teaching in context of religious matters today has caused a lot of folks to turn a deaf ear to the truth of the gospel. So things that we need to combat. It gives, it gives me... Uh, Impetus that we've got, we as Christians have a lot more work to do. Verse 38 Philip commanded the chariot to stop. The question for us to consider in light of, of tracks like this one we just cited is this Why stop the chariot? I've got several questions I want us to explore here tonight as our, as our lesson concludes. Our lesson progresses. Question number one. If the eunuch only needed to believe, why stop the chariot? Mental assent is vital 
to one being saved, but not belief alone. And you know, incidentally, no one thing alone will save you. So many people today teach faith alone. We'll talk about that in a moment. Belief alone. Grace alone. You won't find any scripture in the New Testament indicating that anything alone will bring salvation. And I would challenge anyone to prove otherwise from the scripture. There is something we must do. We made a reference earlier to Acts chapter 2 when the gospel was preached for the first time. Peter, in his sermon, convicts these Jews that were there listening of killing the Son of God. The Bible records they were cut to the heart. And they asked, men and brethren, what must we do? Indicating there's something you must do. Peter didn't say, well, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you should do. Peter didn't say, believe on the Lord Jesus and say this prayer. And I'm not picking on Max Cato. I hope you know that. I'm just using that as an example. Believing in Christ involves more than just saying, I believe. I like to think of it this way. I like to think of belief or believe as a, is a package word. What I mean by that, it indicates that one demonstrates that he fully believes something when he demonstrates his belief through his actions. Through his actions. Let's turn, keep your fingers there in Acts chapter 8 and go to Acts 16. Incidentally, I'll, I'll share this with you while we're turning there. I'm not giving you any, any new information tonight. This is all information that we're familiar with. But I hope that as we talk about these things in this kind of pointed fashion, that you will take these things from God's Word and be better equipped to teach others and engage in conversations of a religious nature with our friends. Because, again, this... this Doctrine that is being proclaimed is rampant and it is very popular. Acts chapter 16, in the context, um, Paul and Silas are there in jail in Philippi. And you know how uh, they had been beaten and placed in stocks, and at midnight they were singing songs of praise to God, and how that uh, God caused the earthquake and the chains were loosened and doors and bars were open. Many people who believe this belief-only doctrine use Acts 16 and the Philippian jailer and his household as one of their points. Look at Acts 16, verse 30, beginning. This is after the earthquake, and they're all free, but Paul told them to stay there. Verse 30, And he, that's the jailer, brought them out, Paul and Silas, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved in your household. Then they, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, that's the jailer, and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Verse 34, Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced. What's those next three, four words? Having believed in God with all his household. Why do I use this verse? Why do I make that point? Belief is a package word. 
the the concept of believing here that the jailer did, yes, he believed, but he did other things too. And I like how the you know Luke through the inspire, inspiration of the Holy Spirit made this statement: having believed in God, that was completing their belief, the actions that they engaged themselves in, the repentance, the confession, the baptism, showed to everyone else that they believed. Question number two. If the eunuch only needed to pray a prayer, why stop the chariot? Again, keep your fingers there in Acts and turn back to Mark chapter 16. Again, a familiar passage. Jesus, towards the end of his earthly existence, gives what we call the Great Commission. This is Mark's account here. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus speaking, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Pretty plain, isn't it? Um... People want to dissect that verse and say, well, all you've got to do is believe. Because Jesus didn't say at the end there, be baptized again. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was little, when I was in elementary school, they they taught us English and grammar and parts of speech and all those kind of things. I remember a Saturday morning cartoon. Those of you who are my age probably remember it too. It's called It was called... Um, ABC Rock, I think it was. I remember one of them, Conjunction, Junction, Watch Your Function. It was a picture, it was a cartoon of a little train. And they would, they had the word and on one of those boxcars. And they would take that sentence apart and they would back those cars up together to that and. What was the and doing? It's a conjunction. It's tying things together. What's Jesus doing here? How's he using the, the and? He's tying things together. He that believeth and is baptized. Indicating that belief won't save you alone or baptism alone won't save you. It's together. When those things are coupled together is when we get the salvation that we desire. The idea about prayer. We would all agree that prayer is vital to the Christian. I would encourage all of us to cultivate a healthy prayer life. Because I found in my life that when you have a healthy prayer life, when things are going good, when things go bad, you still have a healthy prayer life. And it will sustain you and carry you through difficult times. But you notice Jesus said nothing about prayer. In these verses we just read. Saul of Tarsus prayed for three days. The reference there is Acts chapter 9, verse 9, and then also verse 11. If he was saved by praying, he sure didn't know it. And neither did Ananias, that man that God sent to to teach him. 
Verse 18 indicates that he was ultimately baptized after hearing God's instruction through the, through the mouth of Ananias. And Paul recounts this conversion and what he did in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. So prayer, if, if the, the eunuch only needed to pray a prayer, why stop the chariot? Question number three. If the only eunuch only needed faith, why stop the chariot? The Greek word for faith is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. That word carries with it not only the idea of belief, but more importantly the ideas of devotion, trust, and loyalty. When biblical writers said a person had faith, they didn't just mean the person believed in the existence of Jesus. They meant that the person had given their loyalty and devotion to Jesus, trusting in Jesus and His atoning sacrifice as a basis for their salvation. James 2 and verse 24. You're familiar with it. Turn over there quickly. James writing to Christians. <clears throat> talks about faith and works. We don't have time to get into this very deep, but again, there's a lot of false teaching going on in, con- in conjunction of faith and works as well. Um, James 2 and 24. He says, you see then, he's using Abraham as an example, you see, you see then a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That's, where you'll, that's the only place you see anything in there about only, but it's not by faith only. James is, is simply helping us to understand that, the biblical, that biblical faith is a faith that moves us to do something. If your faith doesn't move you to action, James said it's dead and it's useless. You've heard from this pulpit so many times through the years, saving faith is acting faith. The only kind of faith that will save you is that faith that will drive you, spurn you, make you act. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us numerous examples of men and women who demonstrated their faith in God's Word, in God's promises, in God's instructions, by what they did. Go back and read that sometime in your private study. By faith, Abel. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. All those, what we call the great stalwarts of faith, put their belief, their trust in God to work through their actions. That's how they were able to do such great things. That's why they're recorded in what we call Faith's Hall of Fame. Our fourth and final question as we consider this matter. If baptism is not essential to salvation, why stop the chariot? Again, Acts chapter 8. As we read earlier, verse 38 there, at the preaching of Christ, or at the preaching of Jesus that Philip preached to the, to the Ethiopian, he comes to a body of water. And... Again, evidently, the preaching of Christ has something to do with baptism. The eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered him, I believe Jesus Christ is Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Cited earlier, Mark 16, verse 16, it was Jesus who placed baptism as a requirement for salvation. 
It wasn't me or you or anybody else. It was Jesus. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's pretty plain. Locato and others teaching concerning salvation is based on John 3.16, a very wonderful verse. It's a verse from the Bible. It's an inspired verse. It's words of Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible, those words in John 3.16 are in red. And the emphasis that they place on it is belief only. No mention of baptism in this tract. Incidentally, there's no mention of repentance, confession, or baptism in here either. Those who seek to use Scripture to show that baptism is not essential use, widely use, John 3.16. They say, Jesus, see, Jesus didn't mention baptism. He just said that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son and those who believe on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an absolute promise from God. But there's conditions around that promise. In context of John 3.16, they say, see, Jesus didn't mention baptism, but I beg to differ. Because John 3.16 is part of a lengthy conversation Jesus had with this leader of the Jews named Nicodemus about his coming kingdom. And if you notice in verses 3, John 3.3, and again in John 3.5, Jesus talks about baptism and how it's required for one to enter the kingdom of God. He didn't need to repeat it again to, to increase its validity there in, chap, in chapter 3, verse 16. He'd already talked about it. Again, my intent tonight was not to offer any new information, any new enlightenment on God's Word, but I hope that through the discussion of these things and this plain, hopefully plain and simple example of the Ethiopian eunuch and his conversion has given you some thoughts and ways to be able to be better equipped to ask pointed, loving, concerning questions as we engage our friends in conversation about religious matters. I fully believe, and I know you do as well, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16. God has given us the pattern in His Word When we follow His pattern, we get the result we desire. Let us hold fast to the pattern. As we stated earlier, the man from Ethiopia was an honest, good man of integrity. He was religious, but he lacked one thing. He needed the salvation provided by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He had to follow the pattern. You know, when you plant corn seed, you get corn. That's not rocket science. When you plant the Word of God in good and honest and humble hearts, you get New Testament Christians. I'm so thankful that God has preserved for us these accounts like the Ethiopian eunuch, the accounts like Cornelius, the accounts like Saul of Tarsus and so many others in His Word. We can see the pattern. People want to shoot holes in it and say it was different messages preached to different groups of people. You can't prove that from the Bible. The messengers may have been different, but the message was always the same. The message has to stay the same today. Let us be encouraged by this lesson. Tonight, if you're here, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, you may be a good, honest person of integrity, 
a religious person, a a person who believes in God, a person who believes in worship. But like the eunuch, you still need to contact the shed blood of Jesus Christ to be saved. You do that through the agency of baptism. There's nothing magic in the water. But as Peter would say, it's an act of a good conscience toward God. When you, as a person, realizing your position as a sinner, your need for God and God only that can save you, what do you desire? You want a clean conscience, don't you? Where do you get that? When you submit to baptism. When you say, Lord, I believe that you died for, since your son had died for me. I believe that there's certain things I have to do in order to be right with you. There's a prescription that I have to follow. Belief is the, number, is the first thing because if you don't believe, you're not going to do any of the rest of it. Repent of your sins. That means to change. This doesn't cause, call for any change. But Christianity demands change. We have to change our lives. We have to change our direction. We have to change our perspective. We have to change our attitude towards sinful activity. Just like that eunuch, you have to confess before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Wonderful words. If you haven't said those words, that's a condition of your salvation. You say those words before this group, and you continue to confess that belief every day that you live, every breath that God gives you, confessing, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Being baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that washes away sin, rising to walk in newness of life. Jesus gives us a wonderful promise. If we are faithful unto death, He will give us the crown of life. Romans, or excuse me, Revelation 2 and verse number 10. Tonight, if you're here, have you a heart that's weary, burdened by a load of care? The song asks, Do you know my Jesus? You can know Him. You can obey Him. You can be part of His kingdom before you leave here tonight. Maybe in times past you've done those things but wandered away. You've let things of this world creep back into your life, sinful activities. If they're public in nature, they need to be taken care of in that way. If they're private in nature, pray to God and ask Him to forgive you. He's faithful and just to do exactly that. We're here to assist you in any way that we